Well, hello out there. Welcome to the 71st episode of the Cotton Companion Podcast. This is Jim Stedman. I'm Senior Editor of Cotton Grower Magazine, and I'm coming to you from one half of the virtual Cotton Companion Studios. And over on the other microphone, sitting about two and a half states away from me, is Cotton Grower Editor Frank Giles. Uh, Frank, we've been working with this technology, this Zoom and Skype technology here for the last uh, six or eight weeks, and it's uh, it's pretty amazing, but this kind of social distancing, we've really kind of taken it to a, an extreme level. Yeah, I think so. You know, they say the guidance is what, six feet away? Uh, we're supposed to say six feet away, so we ought to be pretty safe from each other. I would, I would think so. And after all these months of doing, doing this actually in a room with Beck, uh, you know, across the desk from each other, this is, this has become a, uh, it, it, it's a totally different feeling, but by gosh, we're making it work. And that's, that's the important yep, thing. Yep. New days, new ways. Absolutely. Well, let's go ahead and get to it. Uh, faithful listeners, we have another information packed episode coming up for you, but first, we need to take a moment to bring you a short message from our sponsor, Enlist. This episode of Cotton Companion is brought to you by the Enlist Weed Control System, ready to help you control tough weeds with 2,4-D choline featuring inherent low volatility. All right, and we certainly appreciate the folks at Corteva and the Enlist Weed Control System for sponsoring the Cotton Companion podcast. But before we get into our discussions and the latest cotton news, I want to turn things over to our colleague Robin Sickberg for a custom content interview with Enlist Field Specialist Haley Neighbors. Hello, I'm Robin Sickberg, custom content editor with Meister Media Worldwide, publisher of Cotton Grower Magazine. My guest today is Haley Neighbors, technology field specialist at Corteva AgriSciences. Welcome to the program, Haley. Thank you, Robin. Haley, we hear a lot about flexibility with the Enlist Weed Control System, and why is this especially important? Farmers are, are working all season long to try to control weeds. I, I think one thing we can all agree on is that Mother Nature doesn't always cooperate with us, um, which can lead to some additional challenges. So the Enlist technology is going to offer growers uh, additional flexibility versus other technologies on the market. Uh, we have the ability to tank mix with Liberty herbicides for those glyphosate resistant or tough to control weeds. And then whenever we're looking at application windows, we do have a little bit longer application windows, whereas in cotton, we can apply it burn down through mid bloom. And when we're talking about soybeans and E3 soybeans, we can apply from burn down through R2. Um, one thing that I, I want to mention here um, is that with these uh, application windows, we have no days after planting restriction here. Okay. Well, what about um, state cutoff dates? Are there, um, what are the rules for Enlist? When we're talking about Enlist herbicides, we don't have any state-mandated cutoff dates. So as I mentioned, as far as application windows, you can spray all the way through mid-bloom in Enlist cotton, um, and we, we don't have any of those days after planting restrictions. So that's really the back end of our application window. Uh, we also have the really nice benefit on the front end where uh, applicators can burn down with Enlist herbicides, and then there's no plant back restriction for anybody planting Enlist crops with, a, with an application made of Enlist herbicides. Excellent. That truly does make it flexible. So where can farmers learn more about Enlist herbicides? For anyone looking for more information on the Enlist weed control system, they can visit Enlist.com or they can follow us on Twitter at 
enlist online. All right, well, we've got to wrap up for now, but thank you so much, Haley. Thank you, Robin. I appreciate it. All right, thank you, Robin, and thank you, Haley, uh, for that information. And uh, we're going to go ahead and kick things off. We're going to take, uh, Frank, let's take a couple minutes uh, here to, uh, to discuss cotton planting progress across the cotton belt. Uh, since we produce this podcast in, on the second and, and fourth weeks of each month, it's really been three weeks since we took a look at, at the USDA crop progress numbers. And man, there's been a big difference in those three weeks. Uh, it's amazing what, what some little time and some really good planting weather can, uh, can do. Uh, what are you hearing down in your part of the world as far as, as progress? They're rolling pretty good. I actually uh, drove up to Georgia this weekend to see my sweet mother for Mother's Day. And as I was making my way north, uh, up I-75, I saw a lot of planters rolling uh, in uh, those cotton-producing counties that I drove through. So they're out there uh, working hard. It, it looks dry uh, in the parts I drove through. I did see a good bit of irrigation running too, but but they're uh, rocking and rolling right now. It looks like. Well, and I think they're uh, they're moving ahead pretty quickly in other parts of the of the southeast. Uh, and the lower parts of the Mid-South, I think the upper parts of the Mid-South are just getting started. But Texas appears to be well underway, uh, with, with the exception probably of that, that South Plains, Rolling Plains area uh, that is probably maybe another week or so away. But let's take a look at the numbers. And these are from this, this week's crop progress reports. So these numbers are right off of, uh, are, are from May 10th. Uh, at that point, again, for perspective's sake, three weeks ago, we were looking at 13% of the cotton crop had been planted, and most of that came out of three states. For this week, we're up to 32% of the U.S. crop planted. That's up 14% in the past week, and it is 5% ahead of the five-year average for this state. So that means we're making some pretty good progress right out of the gate. Uh, those state planting percentages range from 7% in Oklahoma up to 85% complete in Arizona. And all told, every state except Oklahoma is, is, uh, is in double-digit percentages for planted acres. Uh, the numbers in the southeast, if, if for interest, uh, it's 14% planted in Virginia and in North Carolina, 23% uh, in South Carolina, 26% in, uh, in Georgia, and up to 41% in Alabama, most of that probably in the southern and central parts of the state. Over in the Mid-South, we're 54% complete in Louisiana, 26% in Arkansas, 23% in Mississippi, uh, and 10% in both Tennessee and Missouri, uh, where a lot of rain and some cool temperatures over the last week and a half uh, have kind of slowed things down. But as I understand it, the planters are rolling now, and, and uh, there'll probably be some really good progress here in the in the coming week. Over in the Southwest, Texas has 37% of their crop planted, Oklahoma 7%, 18% uh, in Kansas, and out West, we said 85% in Arizona and 75% in California. So uh, for a year where our market prices are, are not looking great and uh, other factors impacting the market at this point, uh, we seem to be off to a good start. What um, what are you hearing, Frank? Yeah, I hear the same thing. It's like, say, they're uh, eager to get out there and get going. I, I was uh, chatting with a friend from Georgia 
uh, last week, I believe, and uh, they were still wet. And he was really eager to get out in the field. So I know they're running hard now. So uh, looks like we're off to a pretty decent start. Be nice to get some rains right after all of it gets in the ground. As as long as as long as they're nice, perfect rains. Yeah, slow and steady. We don't. I think I, hopefully our storm season is hopefully storm season is over at this point. You and I are working currently right now on our May June issue, and you you had an opportunity to visit with a grower up in Georgia who who is already planted. Is that correct? That's right. I'm I'm pretty sure he would be finished by now. He uh, got started on March 26th. So. Real early start, so be sure and look out for the the issue because we'll talk about uh, why he does that, how he does that. But it's basically to get things going to avoid some of that white fly white fly pressure late in the season where he's at uh-huh. uh, in Georgia. He's around a lot of vegetable crops, so the white uh, white fly pressure picks up. So he's trying to avoid some of those insecticide sprays and miss god forbid a hurricane if it comes that way Um, yeah with hurricane michael uh he was able to he was already about 80 percent harvested by the time that came through so um uh that made a big difference for him uh that particular season that's true what michael was what two years ago now yeah yeah it was uh yep two years ago yeah last last year we we managed to uh to avoid some big hurricanes over on the east coast and and in southeast so uh hopefully nothing like that will uh will come up again this year anyway that's the uh that's kind of the status on planting at this point and uh so now frank uh let's take a look at some of the other news items that are have per, have sort of surfaced here in the last couple of weeks regarding cotton yeah we wanted to give a shout out to vidalia mills they're out there on the front line of the COVID 19 fight the yarn and denim uh, maker has partnered with Keep It Here, uh, Los Angeles-based uh, sheet, uh, sheet not a uh, shirt, t-shirt, and jean uh, maker to produce and distribute face masks and surgical gowns using BASF's E3 sustainable cotton. And this comes partly out of a, a, a collaboration between Texas Tech and two Texas-based companies. Uh, Scarborough uh, Specialties and E-Innovate, and they developed uh, a new face cover using cotton non-wovens as a filter substrate, and you can learn more about that over on the website at cottongrower.com. Okay, well next uh, we're going to talk about the U.S. Cotton Trust Protocol again, and and that program, we've been talking about it, it's been in place and in the planning process for well over a year. Uh, The Trust Protocol is getting ready to launch in June, and the group has now selected a company called Control Union Certifications North America to sort of handle the independent third-party data verification for that program. Now, Control Union has certified more than 150 programs worldwide. Uh, their auditors in the U.S. have a long history of working with, uh, with other crops on multiple standards and metrics related to sustainability including those five key points of the trust protocol. Uh, and then on a, on a related subject, uh, a week or so ago, the textile exchange uh, has added U.S. Cotton Trust Protocol to its list of preferred fibers and materials, which makes cotton from protocol growers a preferred <clears throat> cotton fiber among the 36 fibers and materials that more than 170 brands and retailers can choose from 
as part of the Textile Exchange Material Change Index Program. So uh, good things happening already for these uh, for the trust protocol and the sustainability effort. Uh, ready to kick off, uh, close the pilot program and ready to kick off full time here within the next couple of weeks. Thanks, Jim. Uh, Delta Pine is kicking off its 13th season of the new product evaluator program. Uh, everybody calls it MPE for short. The MPE growers are going to be looking at eight Bolgard 3 extended flex varieties this season on large acre plots on their farms. And they're going to be treating these varieties like they would treat any cotton on their farm using their normal production programs um, in both uh, irrigated and dry land situations. And based on the feedback uh, Delta Pine gets from these growers, uh, they will be selecting their class of 2021 and that will be announced in December. It's always a, uh, an interesting event that they have. It's, it's a lot of fun. Uh, we'll, We'll be interested to see if how uh, how the COVID nineteen situation impacts uh, events and things like that as we move into uh, move into the summer and fall fall time time frames at least. Uh, moving ahead, a quick report out of the Agricultural and Food Policy Center at Texas A and M University uh, shows that the COVID 19s economic impact on Texas agriculture could easily mean losses in the range of six billion to eight billion dollars. Uh, for the state's livestock, dairy, row crops, and specialty crops industries. Uh, for Texas row crops, I th the report shows that the most immediate and visible impact is going to is obviously commodity market prices, uh, as everyone in the cotton industry knows at this point. Uh, but the report also notes that effects can reasonably be reasonably be expected to ripple through the industry supply chain, from all the way from production inputs to retail consumers. Now we've got it, our market segment coming up here shortly in the in the podcast, and we're going to talk a little bit more specifics on some of these factors impacting cotton uh, in a conversation with Dr. John Robinson uh, of Texas A&M. Uh, again, that'll be coming up later in this episode. Thanks, Jim. Uh, researchers from Clemson University believe they found the genetic feature that gives pigweed or Palmer amaranth its resistance to glyphosate. This discovery could help uh, refine herbicide strategies and fight this terrible weed. And that'd be a really big deal to help growers uh, fight it because it can take over and take over fast. Uh, Clemson's Chris Sasky led the study. An article on the research was also published in the Plant Cell Journal. Uh, that's very, very technical and way more than Jim and I could uh, ever hope to explain here, but you can read more about it over at cottongrower.com and we break it down. And I like to use the term laymanize it a little bit so it'll be easier to understand. It, it, it definitely true because as I read through the article, uh, there's a lot of technical things in there that, you know, look, I took biology and I took chemistry, uh, but that was a long time ago. So, uh, you know, kudos to, uh, to this group who, who may be on the cusp of, of coming up with, with a solution to uh, glyphosate resistance in pigweed. Uh, God knows pigweed needs to be knocked down just a little bit uh, at this point. Yeah, pardon for, for go ahead. No, Frank. I was just saying I used to uh, pick cantaloupes and, uh, when I was a kid, and one of our side jobs with that was hoeing pigweed and <laughs> it has 
been a lifelong nemesis of mine ever since. <laughs> I, can, I can imagine. I can certainly understand that. Uh, anyway, at this point, uh, as I mentioned earlier, we want to circle back and, and want to share a conversation I had uh, recently with our good friend, Dr. John Robinson, uh, who's professor and extension cotton marketing specialist at Texas A&M. Uh, it's been nearly two months since we visited with him last, and and let's just say a lot of things have kind of changed in that time regarding uh, uh, the cotton market, regarding acreage, uh, what it's going to take to kind of pull this industry back up, and also you know managing life in a uh, in a social distancing world as uh, as John and I visited from our both from our virtual uh, sites. So I'm sure you'll find his comments interesting. Here's our market segment with Dr. John Robinson. On today's market segment, we're going to revisit the markets. It's something we really haven't had a chance to do for, for more than a month. And joining us today with his unique perspective on prices and market influences is Dr. John Robinson. He's professor and extension cotton marketing specialist at Texas A&M University. Thanks for joining us again today, John. Glad to have you. Thank you for having me. My first question, uh, where are you working from today? Are you still sheltering home or have you ventured back to your office yet? No, I'm at home in Cypress, Texas, uh, on the College Station side of Houston. And word is that some people may start to go back to the office in a few weeks. And you've been conducting business. Uh, we're obviously recording this on a, on a Zoom session at this point. I'm, I'm guessing you've become an expert at Zoom and, and Skype here over the last few weeks. I've become a user of it. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't call myself an expert. Well, I, I can certainly understand that. It's uh, it's kind of a whole new world for those of us who are used to getting out and, and, and going being face-to-face -face with, with folks in this industry. So, uh, you know, I guess that's something we're all going to have to get used to at this point. Yeah. yeah, it has its advantages and disadvantages, I think. Definitely. Now, the last time we visited for this podcast was back in early March. I did go back and look. And uh, at that point, the only thing only thing we seem to be focused on was sort of this slow price slide and what acreage was going to look like this year. And right now it seems like there's kind of a, a tug of war going on between the bears and the bulls, depending on what week, uh, what happens every week. What's kind of the status of the market right now? We appear to have stabilized. Well, let me back up. We had a long slide uh, down to through the end of March, I think through the 1st of April was the lows. The nearby ice futures got down to 48 something. So we, we had a pretty long slide. Then, then began a recovery in the month of April and the nearbys, the nearbys had a rally of, of about uh, nine cents back up to 57 something. Then more recently in the last few weeks we've settled into a range that appears to be in the upper 50s but you know between 55 and and 57 right. or 58 so we appear to have stabilized what uh what's what's caused some of this this market movement back up first i find it kind of surprising because uh it it, it started back up probably just as a reaction to having fallen too much and gotten oversold well, then we had some rather bearish fundamental numbers come out with the April WASD. They were, they were unprecedented monthly adjustments um, in a bad direction. They were cutting consumption and, 
and cutting our export number. And I think that was just USDA's first attempt to, to put into numbers what we know is gonna be the case. And that is that there's gonna be a huge decline in consumption of apparel and all the way down the supply chain. You know, it can't not be that way because consumers around the world are sitting at home and if they're going out to buy anything, they're buying essentials, they're not buying apparel. So we all know that that's going to have an impact. And so the April WASD was the really the first, uh, I think, attempt to put that into numbers. Yeah, they were trying, trying to right the ship a little bit. Yeah. So, so those, those fundamentals come out and the day that they came out, the market didn't, didn't appear to, uh, it didn't sell off. And, and then in the ensuing weeks, it went up a couple of cents. Um, the only thing that was really being kicked around was there were, there were first rumors, and now we've had two weeks of confirmation that China was going to be in the market uh, buying cotton. And specifically, it was the China Reserve, the, the government state reserve, was, was going to be in the market. And... And so the week that those rumors came out, the market was up two cents that week. And the following week, we had a booming export sales report uh, showing, um, I forget how many hundreds of thousands of bales, but I think four. China, China bought a huge amount. So that appeared to confirm uh, the picture. And then in this most recent export sales report that came out this morning that we're talking, China was was reflected in there again, buying a large amount. So, the market liked that. To me, there's really not a fundamental, a fundamentally bullish aspect to the state reserves wanting to buy cotton because they're not buying it to spin it. So it's not a it's not commercial demand. It's uh, it's basically just shuffling world ending stocks from outside of China into China is what it's doing. Um, and I think that the market still went up, you know, it liked what it saw, you know, it liked buying of any kind, but I, I, I really think the dynamic that's going on is simply that there's not much happening on the selling side. And so anything that's positive is, is going to be pulling it up. But I think we're still at risk for the fundamentals to, to weigh, weigh back down, weigh us back down. When I probably should elaborate when I say there's not much on the selling side, that, that would be for two reasons. One, you know, when the commercials are transacting business, selling bales, they're in the market hedging and that usually means selling. Well, that's, that's not really going on. So there's not much hedge selling happening. And the commercial, the uh, speculative standpoint, if you're a hedge fund manager, you'd be braver than, than I am to bet that the market's going to go lower when the Federal Reserve and other central banks are creating trillions of dollars out of nothing and injecting it into the market. There's a lot of uh, expected inflationary pressure from that. So I, I don't think they're selling. And so there's not much selling. If anything positive happens, that's what's pulling us up. But it could, it could, the fundamentals could still come back and, and weigh on the market. I wouldn't be surprised if we retraced back to the mid to lower 50s, you know, like if the May WASD comes out and those are, you know, just more bearish numbers. Um, 
I think that'll probably weigh on the market, weigh it back down. So what, what kind of advice would you give to growers right now who are, who are heading to the fields to plant this year's crop or, or, and may also still be sitting on part of last year's crop? What sort of things should they be looking for in terms of setting up and, and getting themselves ready for marketing this year? In terms of planting cotton, you know, they have to go into it with their eyes wide open, realizing that the, the outlook for prices for new crop, the new crop outlook is pretty tough mm-hmm. to my way of thinking. If, if we wind up planting 12 million acres, which I think that's a reasonable guess until we get data from, from what, from NAS, we plant 12 million acres and have a decent crop. We can have a 17 million bale crop. We're carrying in 6.7 million bales from the previous year and that could rise to seven so we're going to have a 25 million bales um, supply uh, that's a lot of cotton to work through i think we're going to have ending stocks next next marketing year probably you know between six and seven mm-hmm. million and that's that's just a high level so i don't see why prices fundamentally are going to trade out outside of you know the upper 50s low 60s sure Okay, making that work is difficult. Now, if we our safety net, thankfully, we have the loan price support and we've got the PLC seed cotton payment. Both of those are in the money. You know, they're paying. So that's a bad reason, but I'm glad it's there. You know, that can actually give growers a, a supported total price somewhere in the mid to upper 60s. Um, so, you know, there's hopefully enough to borrow money on and pay back loans and keep folks in business, but it's just, it's a tough situation to be in. Let's look ahead a little bit, because I think over the last couple of weeks, you said it's, it's, and not just you, but I think a lot of people in the industry have said it's going to be a long road back, uh, for cotton demand because of, of COVID-19 and and the influence that it's had on, on everybody. What are you kind of seeing right now? Uh, what's it going to take to pull out of this market situation and, and how long do you think it's, it's going to take? I really think it's going to take well into calendar 21 before the retail apparel and home furnishings and all that mm-hmm. begins to get back to normal. And, and that's, that's, that's making somewhat optimistic assumptions and I'm, and I'm following the lead of the international monetary fund. They're projecting that, that the medical problem is going to fade away in the fall and that the, the economy is going to begin to recover in, in 21. Well, it'll still take a long time for consumers to feel confident, I think, so that it's safe to go out and shop. And I think it's going to take a while for consumers' wallets and bank accounts and retirement accounts to you know, give them the confidence that that yeah, things are normal and, and we can go spend money on non-essentials, which you know, apparel is a non-essential. That, that's gonna take many, many months. That's gonna take many months beyond just the assurance that the medical problem is, is solved, which it isn't you know, yet. Mm-hmm. So that's why I think there's a huge lag built into this. Yeah, I was, I was in, a, in a, another Zoom meeting last week and I heard someone make a, a very, I guess, accurate comment on it. It's like, you know, you have to eat every day, but you can wash a shirt over and over and over right. at this point. And that's, that's really un- sadly where we are at this point. Right. That's the way it's always been. If you look at, if you, if you track consumption of cotton against 
recessions. Right. You know, every, every time there's a recession, we tighten our belts and people cut back on things that are non-essential. This is just an extreme situation where not only are, not only is economic growth down and people's people's they're worried about their jobs and things like that. Um, they're all sheltered at home. You know, that's unprecedented. Yeah. It's uh, you know, I speaking to someone who, who my office permanent office is at home, you know, that, and that's fine. I've worked here before, but you know, suddenly when you have two kids, two dogs and, you know, and your spouse all trying to do uh, distance learning or, or working, it, it gets a little interesting from time to time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but we're all we're all adjusting and maybe that's that's the good thing about it i i guess really do you see are certain things just going to change forever at this point as, as we go through this experience you know in terms of communication in terms of you know marketing in terms of how things are, are done in this industry uh, i expect yes in this industry and every other many other aspects of our lives i think they will well, I guess we'll, uh, we've, we've, we've been through it this far. I guess we'll go through and see where, how things end up uh, as, as we move ahead. John, I'm going to cut us off here. As, as always, it's, it's good information, good insight. We appreciate it. And I thank you for taking time to, uh, to join us again. Well, thanks again. I look forward to it. All right. And now here's the rest of the Cotton Companion. Okay. Many thanks again to Dr. Robinson for taking time to visit with us. Now a quick brief, a brief message from our sponsor and list, and we'll, we'll be back to close this episode out. As cotton is emerging and growing, cotton farmers are preparing for their annual battle against weeds, and the weeds keep getting tougher. Phytogen Cottonseed with the Enlist trade is helping control those tough weeds. Farmers who've planted Phytogen W3FE varieties are making Enlist herbicides the cornerstone of their weed control program. After making pre-emergence treatments featuring residual herbicides, they're taking advantage of the convenience and flexibility of Enlist herbicides post-emergence. These herbicides offer a wider application with no cutoff dates or time of day restrictions for application on Enlist crops. Enlist 1 is a straight goods 2,4-D choline that offers additional tank mix flexibility, including the ability to tank mix with Liberty herbicide and qualified AMS products. Enlist Duo Herbicide is a convenient blend of 2,4-D choline and glyphosate. Both feature near-zero volatility and reduced drift potential to stay on target during and after application. Learn more at Enlist.com. Well, that wraps us up for this installment of the Cotton Companion. Thanks to Corteva and the Enlist Weed Control System for sponsoring us. And thanks to our listeners out there, too. And let your friends and neighbors know about us. Tell them to come listen to us and learn a little bit more about what's happening in cotton. Jim, how can folks find us? Well, they can get to our podcast in three easy ways. Uh, the easiest, first of all, you can go to cottongrower.com, add a forward slash companion. So it reads cottongrower.com forward slash companion. Uh, second, you can subscribe to our channel on iTunes or wherever it is you find your podcasts these days, uh, you'll find the Cotton Companion there. Or you can sign up for our weekly e-newsletter, the Cotton Grower e-news, that hits your email every Tuesday morning. Uh, and the it, every episode of the Cotton Companion is, uh, is included uh, in that e-news shortly after it posts. You can, you can subscribe 
by going to uh, www.cottongrower.com forward slash subscribe. You can also follow us on social media, uh, which are other ways to, uh, to reach the podcast. We are at Cotton Grower Mag on Twitter. And on Facebook, you'll find us by searching for Cotton Grower Magazine. Our latest issue, the April issue, uh, should be in your hands by now. And as we mentioned earlier, we're wrapping up work on our May-June issue, and that's going to be coming your way very, very soon. Finally, this podcast is produced by Tyler Hatch from our home office, Meister Media Worldwide, in the lovely but still way too chilly, chilly Willoughby, Ohio. <laughs> uh, Jim and I will see you back here in a couple weeks with the next episode of The Cotton Companion. All the best and be safe out there. Yeah, it works and it works and it works and it works and it works all day. Thank you for listening to this episode of Cotton Companion. Visit Enlist.com to learn more about the Enlist weed control system and to hear from farmers experiencing the technology.